Anybody watch House when it was on a while back? Uh, well, parthenogenesis is a real thing. It comes from two Greek words, parthenos, uh, meaning virgin. Uh, what do you think they did at the Parthenon? <laughs> and genesis, meaning birth. It refers to the asexual reproduction in females when fertilization of an egg occurs without male input. Parthenogenic births are actually quite common in many species, such as scorpions and water fleas, and even some species of bird and fish. It's never been scientifically documented, however, in human beings. Our chromosomal makeup just wouldn't allow it. In order for there to be human babies, you need male and female input. Which is why this young engaged couple from House is so surprised when the doctor shows up to deliver the news of their parthenogenic miracle, they're left dumbstruck. How is it possible that she is pregnant with no fertilization? Is it really a Christmas miracle? As it turns out, no. There's no miracle. The woman was having an affair with another man and was trying to cover it up by insisting to her fiancé that she was still a virgin. Dr. House knew this and decides to have some fun with the young couple by calling it a miracle. That silly Dr. House messing around with people's lives. They find out eventually, but for the moment, they are very, very confused. I like this scene from House because it gives us a tiny, imperfect glimpse into what it may have been like for Joseph and Mary to learn they are pregnant with a miracle child. Like the couple in House, Joseph and Mary were undoubtedly excited, they were surprised, and they were very, very confused. That's what we're talking about in our current series called The Coming of the King. If you didn't know this, it's the Christmas season. When Christians around the world prepare for the arrival of Jesus, who was born to the Virgin Mary 2,000 years ago, the baby Jesus was God in the flesh, and his arrival to earth marked a turning point in human history. Jesus grew up to die for the sins of humanity, to uh, destroy the power of death, to build the church, the kingdom here on earth. And as Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago, he is coming again to eradicate sin and disease to judge evil, to resurrect the dead. Christmas is our time to prepare ourselves for the future coming of Christ by reflecting on his prior arrival. And the way we are readying ourselves for Jesus' future arrival is by considering some of the reactions people had to Jesus' first arrival. As we'll see in this series, different people had lots of different reactions to Christ's arrival. Uh, Jeremy pointed out last week that the Old Testament prophets, for example eagerly anticipated the arrival of the king. The shepherds, we will see, were surprised by the king. The magi were uh, overjoyed by the king. Simeon and Anna, two New Testament prophets, uh, they are privileged to meet the king. Different people respond to the king in different kinds of ways. And for their part, Mary and Joseph were confused by the king. Mary especially. But in their confusion, we have a lot to learn about faith and obedience. So let's look at the moment in the Gospels uh, when Mary gets this very confusing news. The story takes place in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Um... How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, well, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is a very familiar Christmas story. It's commonly referred to as the Annunciation. If you grew up Catholic, you almost certainly know the event. In the story, Gabriel appears to young Mary and announces to her that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. Mary is surprised by this, but comes to terms with it and agrees to the plan. The moment of the Annunciation is so dramatic, it's so interesting, that it's actually one of the most artistically represented scenes from the New Testament. Some of history's greatest painters have attempted to capture this moment. For example, here's El Greco's version of the Annunciation. Here's Bashi's. Here's Matisse. Da Vinci had a go at it. Botticelli, Demura. And although I don't know who wrote this or who painted this or even if it's even that famous, here's actually my favorite rendition of the moment of the Annunciation. So the scene of the Annunciation has been captured and painted and interpreted and memorialized, and probably that's because artists have recognized the drama and the emotion of this moment. An angel appears to Mary and announces that God's great plan to redeem the universe is officially underway through her womb. As I mentioned, Mary surely felt all sorts of emotions at this moment when heaven met earth inside of her. She undoubtedly felt fear at the sight of the angel. The angel actually had to calm her down. She was humbled to be so chosen. But the reaction that stands out to me as I consider the story is her confusion. Like our young couple in house, she was absolutely bewildered. You can hear it in her voice. How can this be since I am a virgin? I mean, the idea that Mary would give birth to the Son of God makes no sense given her virginity. In fact, to be clear, the idea that Mary would give birth to anybody Son of God or not, makes no sense given her virginity. Mary is not a scorpion or a water flea capable of parthenogenic self-reproduction. She had never been with a man. It's like an angel appearing to you or I and telling us that without the aid of an airplane, this afternoon we are going to fly to California. How can this be, we would ask. We don't have wings. Mary is understandably confused. Virgins tend not to give birth. But among many things, this is actually what I like about the story. 
Mary's reaction reminds us of something important. Her reaction reminds us that God's plan can be confusing. God's plan can be confusing to us. What God says he's going to do and how he says he's going to do it, that can sometimes not make a lot of sense. And for the record, Mary isn't the only one in the Bible to be confused by the plan of God. There's lots of confusion in the Bible. When God announces to Moses that he's going to use him to liberate an entire nation from Egypt and lead them to the promised land, Moses is understandably confused. You're going to do what? When God tells the prophets that he's going to deliver Israel over to their enemies in Babylon and Assyria and then bring them back after a period of discipline, Israel says, huh? Even Jesus' disciples were understandably paralyzed by confusion. In Mark 9, for example, uh, Jesus is describing the resurrection to them, how it's going to happen. Jesus says, the Son of Man, that's me, is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and then get this, after three days, he will rise. His disciples said, what you talking about, Willis? They didn't really say that. That's an old catchphrase from an 80s sitcom. <laughs> Here's what they said. They did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. They didn't get it. Even John the Baptist, who was basically Jesus' biggest fan, was also confused. John the Baptist believed that Jesus was the Son of God, but he didn't understand why Jesus wasn't acting more like how he thought the Son of God should act. So John the Baptist sends some of his followers to Jesus to ask him this question. Are you the one to come, or should we expect somebody else? We're all, we're all just very confused. The plan of God can be confusing. We are easily confused people, and God is confusing. In fact, more than that, Christianity can be confusing in general. There's a lot about it, about Christianity, that just doesn't seem to make sense. How can one God, for example, be three distinct persons? How can Jesus Christ be completely God and completely man at the same time? How can you and I be responsible for our lives, be accountable for our free decisions, and also live solidly under the sovereign control of God? How can Jesus promise to answer prayer and then not always answer prayer? How can Jesus promise to come back soon and then take, like, forever to get here? Interesting definition of the word soon. These are difficult questions that have bewildered and confused many seekers. When I was in seminary, I remember those nine years. I spent a lot of time in seminary. <laughs> I had to go back a second time. <laughs> I remember those nine years being some of the most invigorating of my life. I loved the study. I loved the theology. I loved the reading. But I also remember feeling, feeling an overwhelming sense of confusion. Sometimes after class discussions, I would be so perplexed by what we had just talked about, I would have trouble finding my way out of the classroom. I was always asking my professors, but how can this be? But how can this be? But how can this be? I didn't ask them, to be sure, I didn't ask them the full complement of Mary's question. But how can this be since I am a virgin? That wouldn't have made sense in the context of our conversations. Maybe, like Mary and me, Christianity confuses you. 
Maybe you're confused by what you read in the Bible. You don't understand the begats. You don't understand the covenants. You don't understand the, uh, the Israelites. You don't understand the, the animal sacrifices. Maybe you're confused by what happens here on Sunday morning at church. Maybe you don't understand why on the third week of the month we line up in two rows and then we take a bit of bread and we dip it in a cup of grape juice and then we eat it. And then we go back to our seats. Maybe you don't understand why on the fourth week of the month, as our rite of initiation, we dunk people in a large tub of water. Why? Maybe you don't understand the lyrics that we sing on every week of the month, sometimes with, with your hands in the air. Maybe you don't understand the sermons. Somebody came up to me uh, a few months ago, lovely woman, and she said, Pastor Matt, I'm really sorry. I didn't understand a thing you were talking about this morning. Maybe that was you. Or maybe you are differently confused. Maybe you heard God tell you something in prayer and you just don't get it. What? God, you want me to say what? You want me to go where? You want me to do what? Or maybe God hasn't said anything to you and you're even more confused. If so, you're in good company. If you're confused, we are all very confused. Those of us who aren't confused by faith are lying and pretending to know more than we do. More to the point. The mother of Jesus was very confused by the gospel when she first heard it. Now, if Mary, the mother of Jesus, can be confused by direct revelation from the angel of God, we should give ourselves some permission to be perplexed by what we don't understand about faith. I mean, one of the worst things you can do as a person of faith is to pretend to know more than you do. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to be ignorant. It's not okay to pretend that you're not. That's pride. But we still have to do something with our confusion. We can't just stay confused. In fact, one of the reasons I like this story is because of Mary's reaction to the angel's pronouncement. She doesn't get it. But she doesn't allow herself to be paralyzed by her confusion. And we have a lot to learn from how Mary responds to her spiritual confusion. How does she respond? Well, I'll tell you. She seeks... And she submits. She seeks and she submits. First, she seeks. By seek, I mean she asks questions. She she starts with the obvious question, how can this be? I'm a virgin. I think this question tells us a lot about Mary. I mean, it's an honest question. It's a good question. And it's a bold question. I mean, there she is, standing in front of a terrifying heavenly being who has just used his powerful angel voice to tell her something amazing, and she says, wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. I don't get it. That took some gumption. I remember Jesus and the disciples. Jesus explains the resurrection to them, and what the disciples not do. They don't have the courage to ask him what he's talking about. Mary does. It reminds me of one of my favorite moments uh, in rooftop history, uh, years ago, I was um, preaching a sermon, making a point, and at the end of my point, I asked rhetorically, I said, you know what I mean? So point, 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 you know what I mean? You know how I ask sometimes, you know what I mean? That's <laughs> a rhetorical question about a rhetorical question. I said, da, 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 you know what I mean? And God bless her, a friend of mine, Amy, she's moved away, but she raised her hand in the middle of the sermon and said, no. I don't know what you mean. 
Everybody was shocked that she would do such a thing, but I was thrilled. I mean, I want people to understand what I'm talking about. So I said, thank you, Amy. And I slowed down, and I tried to kind of restate what I was saying, and I asked her, is that any better? And she said, yes, thank you. It was one of my favorite rooftop moments of all time when someone interrupted the sermon for clarification. To be clear, not saying this should be a regular occurrence on Sunday morning. (laughs) Always happy to talk afterwards about the message. Still one of my favorite moments. Know what I mean? There's still a perception among believers today that it's not our place to ask questions. If God tells you something, if the preacher tells you something, you accept it and you believe it, no questions asked. The thought is that asking questions means you lack faith or you're disrespecting authority. I just finished... Uh, Angela's Ashes, a memoir written by uh, Frank McCourt about his impoverished childhood in Catholic Ireland. McCourt describes countless memories from school of angry priests and teachers who had no patience for inquiry. You believed what they told you, you repeated what they said, you asked no questions, you expressed no doubts, or it was the paddle for you, laddie. My brother-in-law, Ted, uh, he was a longtime pastor down in Texas, super smart guy. He grew up in church, and he tells me that he would repeatedly get kicked out of Sunday school on Sunday morning for asking too many questions. The Sunday school teacher actually accused him of having a demon because he was asking too many questions. That's a travesty. That's a travesty that curiosity is labeled demonic It's a travesty because perhaps more than anything, God desires to have loving relationship with his children. Relationship is built on dialogue. Dialogue is based on questions. The angel was not offended by Mary's question. In fact, what does he do? He answers it. He says, well, good question. Since you asked, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, to be sure, that's actually not the clearest answer, but it's something. Holy Spirit overshadowed, okay, whatever. It's something. Importantly, though, Mary's relationship with the divine deepened as a result of the question. Rooftop Church was started as a place where people can ask questions, knowing that it's in the asking, it's in the seeking, where we meet God and get to know each other. God invites us to be seekers and to meet us on the journey. Remember what Jesus says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. And what James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Now, a couple quick caveats before we move to point two. Just because we ask questions doesn't mean we're going to get immediate answers. I have a long, growing list of unanswered questions for God. And the list is growing longer than I can cross questions off. And I should also say that there's a right way to ask God questions and a wrong way. God likes honest questions asked with sincere hearts and open minds. I know plenty of people who ask questions but aren't really interested in the answers, if you know those people too. People who ask questions but don't care to listen to the answers. They just kind of like to hear themselves talk. 
But that being said, if you're confused by God and faith and have some questions, you're in good company, and here's what you do. You ask your questions. You ask God. You ask others. You ask pastors. Uh, you ask your small group leaders. You ask experts. You read books. You go to school. You go to seminary. You do your research. If you have questions but don't ask them sincerely, one might wonder how much of a seeker you really are or if you just kind of want to think of yourself as one. How does Mary respond to her confusion? She asks. Secondly, she submits. One of the most famous lines of the Annunciation occurs at the end. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. The angel had explained the plan to Mary, but we can be sure she didn't understand it, at least not completely. We can be sure she didn't fully grasp the heartache, the drama, the agony of watching her son grow up, suffer, and die. I mean, she had to know that she couldn't understand everything that being Jesus' mother would entail. I mean, we read later that in Mary's life, she really didn't understand who her son really truly was. I mean, one time Mary and Joseph, Jesus was a little boy, Mary and Joseph are out with Jesus, and they lose him. You know this story? They lose Jesus, toddler Jesus. Or I think he's 12 years old. They lose him in the mall. Didn't know where he is. They say, well, let's go try the temple. They find him in the temple and say, why are you here? He's like, well, you know, I'm the son of God. This is my father's house. Duh. Right, Mom? Said, well, yeah, that's true. Another time, Jesus has grown up, and he's out teaching doing his I am the Messiah, come to save the world thing. And Mary's like embarrassed. Oh my gosh, he's doing his Messiah, save the world thing. He's embarrassing the family name. So what does Mary do? She sends his brothers to go fetch him. She didn't know. (laughs) She couldn't have known. There's no way Mary could have understood everything at the moment of the Annunciation. This actually might have been good in a sense because if she had known everything that would be involved what she was really signing up for. I don't know if she would have agreed to it. Kind of like if I had known what it was going to be like to like plant and pastor church. Not sure. But here we are. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Here's the point though. Regardless of her not knowing, not understanding, she submitted to the plan. I am the Lord's servant, she said. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't even know what I'm really signing up for, but I'm all in. I trust you enough to be all in. May it be to me as you have said. And there's a lesson here for us, too. The lesson is we don't have to understand all of God's plan in order to submit to it. We don't have to have all our questions answered to play our part. I read a book recently um, on the building of the Panama Canal down in Panama. In case you needed to know where the Panama Canal ended up. (laughs) Landed down in Panama. Although, interestingly, it was actually scheduled to be dug through Nicaragua. Did you know that? No. But it wasn't through Panama. That's why they called it the Panama Canal. Anyway, it was the Panama Canal. Massive project that took decades. Involved hundreds and hundreds of thousands of workers. Only a small number of people knew the plan. Not because it was secret, but just because it was too complicated for anybody but the best engineers to grasp. But just because the workers didn't understand the plan didn't mean they couldn't do their jobs. They trusted the plan. They trusted the guys in charge of the plan. And they did what they were asked to do for the good of the project. They dug, they dredged, they cleared, they hauled, they built. Here's the thing. 
the plan of God is infinitely more complex than the building of the Panama Canal. And that was complex. There are a great number of more factors at play. I will never understand the plan of God. I fully expect many, if not most, of my questions about God will not be answered here on earth. Not because they don't have answers, but because my brain can't handle them. I had a hard enough time with algebra. How am I going to understand the plan of God? Or I won't know the answers because knowing the answers might inflate my already troublesome ego beyond what would be beneficial for anybody. People who know a lot tend to get cocky. As Paul says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. One of the upsides of being kept ignorant is theoretically humility. Having said that, I know a lot of very, very ignorant people who are also um, quite arrogant. So either not knowing anything or knowing everything kind of leads to arrogance. But anyway, my point being... Not knowing the answers to my questions doesn't mean I can't submit to God's plan for my life anyway. I don't know about you, but I know God well enough to trust him. I know God well enough to trust that he knows what he's doing. I haven't seen the drawings. I don't know how God's going to cut the canal. I don't know how he's going to move rivers and mountains so boats can get from one ocean to the other. I don't know how he's going to bring heaven to earth. I don't know how he's going to eradicate sin and disease. I don't know how he's going to resurrect the dead. I don't know. But I don't need to know. All I need to know is that he's good and powerful and trustworthy, and that I know. And I know what I'm here to do. I'm here to dig I'm here to clear, I'm here to haul, I'm here to preach, I'm here to proclaim, I'm here to pray and serve and build this church and help start another one. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as he has said. So too for you. You might be confused by the plan of God. That doesn't mean you can't submit to it. You might not understand why God says certain things are wrong, like materialism, wait and have sex until marriage, keeping all your money to yourself. You might not understand why God says those things are unhealthy. That doesn't mean you can't obey them. You might not understand why it's important to pray when it doesn't seem to do much sometimes. That doesn't mean you can't pray or that you shouldn't. You might not understand why God keeps reminding you to reach out to your neighbors and your friends with the message of the gospel, even though they keep blowing you off like time and time and time and time again. That doesn't mean you shouldn't keep trying. So much of Christianity is submitting by faith to things we don't understand or even disagree with because we trust that God knows more than we do. And as many of us can testify, the more we submit to God's plan, the more we understand. The more we submit to God's plan, the more we learn. The more we submit to God's plan, the more we grow. Know what I mean? That's what we have to learn from Mary's confusion. She got a glimpse into the mysterious plan of God to redeem the world, a plan that went straight through her womb. It was a confusing plan, of course. God's ways are mysterious to us. They always will be. We are ants. We are ants trying to understand the mind of the Almighty. But we can still seek answers, and we can still submit to God despite not knowing how it all fits together. And I should also remind you here at the end 
that our confusion won't last forever. What we don't understand now will make sense soon enough. The disciples did not understand the resurrection until they saw Jesus resurrected. Moses did not get the exodus until he saw the promised land from atop Mount Nebo. Mary could not fathom a virgin giving birth to the Son of God until she held Jesus in her arms. Our confusion won't last forever. What we can now only barely make out of God and his will, we will see clearly soon enough. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Soon enough our questions will be answered. Why does God let us suffer? Where are our loved ones? How can one God be three persons? Soon enough, at the return of Christ, we will know. All the world will know. Until then, though, it is Mary's path. We seek and we submit. We're going to finish the message this morning with a famous song that highlights what it must have been like for Mary to be involved in the plan of God as she was. The band, Rachel's going to be up here to share it with you. If you know it, you can sing along or just sit back and contemplate how Mary responded to what she knew and didn't. Afterwards, I'll come back up.